Hello and welcome to the Meningitis Foundation podcast. We aim to provide you with information about meningitis and septicemia and the diseases that cause them, in particular pneumococcal disease and meningococcal disease. I have the pleasure today to talk with Dr. Nikki Stefanogiannis, Deputy Director of Public Health with the New Zealand Ministry of Health. Nikki's on the line from Wellington today. Welcome, Nikki. Thank you. Nice to be here. Nikki, as Deputy Director of Public Health, can you tell me a little bit about what that role entails within the ministry? Okay. Um, the Ministry of Health has got a Director of Public Health and three Deputy Directors of Public Health. And basically what we do is we provide that overall public health leadership to the ministry and to the wider um, health sector, particularly the public health sector. Um, we're part of the public health group, um, which has teams that um, look after communicable disease, environmental health, nutrition, wellness, and physical activity. And basically we provide support with, with regards to the policies surrounding those areas, but also with regards to regulating and, and delivering policies around um, in, in those areas. And do you have a specific remit within that for a particular type or a particular group of um, infectious diseases? Yeah, my, my particular focus is um, mainly on immunisation, vaccine-preventable diseases and communicable diseases. Um, but we do a bit of everything. So with regard to how the Ministry of Health sits with all of the other organisations that are involved in the delivery of, of vaccines and the management of diseases like meningococcal and pneumococcal meningitis. Can you explain the interplay between each of those organisations yeah. too? Um, so the Ministry of Health got over, overall responsibility to ensure that vaccine-preventable diseases are managed appropriately by the sector and we've got policies in place to ensure that um, we do that. And we also have an international obligation as part of one of the um, WHO member states to carry out their responsibility under the international health regulations. We contract the Institute of Environmental Science and Research, also known as um, ESR, to undertake surveillance um, for those um, diseases for us which are notifiable, and they regularly report on the burden of those diseases in New Zealand, and they also look at um, how work with us to look at trends overseas so we can do a bit of horizon scanning. Pharmac has got the responsibility um, under the um, combined pharmaceutical budget to procure vaccines, um, which they, on behalf of the government, and yeah, that's what, they, and that's how they contribute to the immunisation schedule. So talking a little bit about the organisation ESR that you mentioned there, they are contracted by you to report on uh, essentially the surveillance or the, the number of cases and the number of deaths of meningococcal disease being a notifiable disease. Is that correct? That's right, yeah. So how frequently do you get those reports? How current is the data that's coming through to you? It's, it, it varies. So um, some reports come in annually, um, but we can increase that frequency if we see um, an issue with, with um, if we see increasing trends um, and then they report a bit more frequently. For example, um, we, over the over the summer months with the increase in MenW in Northland, we were receiving reports from them um, on a weekly basis. 
but if there's no issue at all, like for example with pneumococcal disease, um, we um, they just they just report as, as part of their general reporting to us um, any trends. Right. So perfect place to start would be the statistics around meningitis infections in New Zealand. Are you able to share with us some of the data with regard to the number of cases of meningitis, pneumococcal disease and meningococcal disease? Okay, yes. Um, so as, as you know, um, meningitis and um, septicemia are serious and life-threatening illnesses, and they can be caused by many kinds of bacteria. But the most common cause of bacterial meningitis in New Zealand is um, the bacteria Ministeria meningitis, and this can cause invasive meningococcal disease, which is um, part of that spectrum of meningitis and septicemia, or, or both of those two conditions. Um, septicemia is also known as blood poisoning. Mm-hmm. And it's invasive disease that we monitor and we monitor trends on rather than meningitis itself. Um, just before I talk about the trends, I just want to just, um, just talk a little bit about the different types of um, groups of meningococcal bacteria there. There's Perfect. four main groups, mm-hmm. five main groups in New Zealand. Um, they're called sera groups and there's A, B, C, W and Y. And most cases in New Zealand are caused by the sera group B. So I'll call them MB. And um, last year, in 2018, there were 100, 120 cases of meningococcal disease in New Zealand, and that included 10 deaths. Um, unfortunately, we've been seeing an increasing trend in cases since 2014 when we had um, only 45 cases reported. And that increase had been driven mainly by MenB until 2017. In 2017-2018, unfortunately, we saw an increase in cases due to the men W strain. Um, so, until that time, men W was one of the least common groups of meningococcal disease, but now it's the second most common. So, men B is still most common, now it's um, men W. Prior to 2015-16, men, meningococcal C was the most second most common group, but we've been seeing a decrease in that Group, right. um, 2013, 14. And is the decrease in MENG-C related to people that had previously been vaccinated or is it simply just over time that we're going to see the emergence of different strains and that, that change? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, looking at um, the epidemiology, what it looks like what happens with, me, with meningococcal disease, when you start seeing an increase in one strain, you actually just naturally see a decrease in another strain. It seems to, different strains seem to sort of um, take the place of other strains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And are we seeing, for men W, are we seeing an increase not just in the number of cases that you're seeing each year, but the number of deaths? Is that increasing again since the 2004-05 period? Um, yeah, so um, there, in 2011, um, there were about 13 deaths, um, mainly due to meningococcal C. And since 2011, we've been seeing six deaths or less per year uh, until about 2016. And in 2017-18, the number of deaths have increased about nine and ten. Um, and last year, about half of those deaths were due to MenW. Mm. So the MenW is obviously facing 
uh, providing or posing quite a challenge for you, no doubt. It is, and um, we we are looking at very closely and monitoring trends um, very closely. Um, that increase um, in medical cobble W has been seen internationally. Mm-hmm. Is that something when you're monitoring the number of cases and the number of deaths? Um, are you the the decision to make a a call to vaccinate people in Northland around the outbreak and that epidemic that was affecting Northland in December 2018. Is there consideration at this point as to whether a national immunisation program for meningococcal W is something to be considered? Uh, we're, we're currently looking at options with regards to um, an immunisation um going forward um, at a national level. Um, but in the meantime, we're going we're also going to be continuing our business as usual um, focus with regards to making sure we've got that increased awareness mm-hmm. of um, meningococcal disease, going, particularly going into the winter months, um, managing, ensuring that cases and their contacts are managed quickly and appropriately, and we will be... Um, closely monitoring the trends of all meningococcal disease and managing outbreaks um, as they occur. Now, you mentioned going into winter. Can you talk a little bit about seasonal um, changes or or rates? Obviously, coming into winter is going to be a period of time where there's more people in closer proximity to each other and change of living conditions. Is that increasing or providing a a blip in your data that's coming through on a regular basis? over the last couple of years? Meningococcal um, disease has always been seasonal with higher um, numbers being seen in winter and spring. Um, But at the same time, there are sporadic cases that we see throughout the year. So at the moment, we're in low season, but we're prepping uh, um, for um, an increased number of um, uh, meningococcal cases coming up in the next couple of months. That's why we're sort of working on the awareness raising and making sure that um, the public health units are all set up to, to manage contact cases in the context quickly. So that prepping is involving not just education of the public, but also of healthcare professionals. Is that correct? That's, that's correct. As part of your education and awareness activities, are you talking about vaccination and proactive vaccination? Um, the messages that we're putting out to um, families is, is um, making sure that they know how um, the meningococcal bacterium can be spread. It can, can be spread through um, secretions and respiratory droplets. So basically, we recommend that basic hygiene, um, covering your nose and mouth when you sneeze or cough, and washing and drying your hands afterwards. Um, and also avoiding sharing, um, eating or drinking utensils such as toothbrushes and pacifiers. Mm-hmm. Um, vaccination is the best protection, and we have got vaccines available that protect against meningococcal um, disease in New Zealand. Um, but we're also, and at the same time, we're also um, recommending that if, if parents, or young people suspect that they have meningococcal disease or have any of the symptoms such as fever, nausea, vomiting, headache, a stiff neck, um, a rash, um, feeling sleepy or irritable, 
um, and it's really important to um, seek medical health immediately or contact um, the GP or Healthline and not to wait. Mm-hmm. And as far as being able to get people to the hospital and make sure that they're seen and diagnosed quickly, uh, are you working with the DHBs in the hospitals on any of their treatment guidelines or pre-hospital admission management of potential cases? Um, as part of our um, response to the Northland um, outbreak last year, we did put out updated advice on the best treatment, um, immediate treatment and management of meningococcal disease, um, and particularly for primary care providers and um, ambulance workers, those people that are first on the scene, on, on, on the best antibiotics to treat um, meningococcal disease. Um, and this year we'll be also providing, working with the DHBs to ensure that those messages are within um, their DHBs. Um, the infectious disease specialists in those and the DHBs have got the responsibility to ensure that they've got the appropriate guidelines for their staff to treat different um, infectious diseases. And so managing that as well at the same time, looking at the surveillance reports that's coming through, you'd be able to identify if there are going to be any hotspots around the country um, or increase in um, disease rates. Yeah, so we work very closely with the SA and with the Medical Officers of Health and the different public health units, um, as well as, um, as, I, as I mentioned previously, um, invasive meningococcal disease is a notifiable disease and it means that it's notifiable on suspicion. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it's notifiable to the Medical Officers of Health and we've got a very good system in place where the Medical Officers of Health not only notify through to ESR, who incorporate the information on the national database called EPISERV, but they also inform us as well directly um, at the Ministry of Health that they have got a case, a suspected case of meningococcal disease. Um, Yeah. Now, we've spoken at length with some of the other people um, that I've interviewed as part of the podcast with regard to the vaccines and availability of the vaccines and which vaccines cover which strains. Looking at the meningococcal disease, those vaccines aren't available um, on the schedule, so people do have to pay for them. But there are particular groups of individuals that I understand are eligible to receive those vaccines free of charge because they're in a high-risk category. Are you able to explain what that high-risk category is and who is eligible to receive those vaccines? Yep, so um, only the one of the ACWI vaccines, Minactra and a C vaccine, are funded in New Zealand for high-risk um, people. Um, and that and those who are eligible are people who are immunocompromised, such as those who have HIV, as well as people um, before and after receiving a, a splenectomy. Um, close contacts of meningococcal um, cases are also eligible to receive the vaccine. And then we've talked a lot about the meningococcal disease and vaccines, looking at pneumococcal disease. Now, the vaccine for pneumococcal disease was introduced onto the childhood immunisation schedule going back, was it 2008 from memory? That's right. So the, the vaccine is given now as part of a standard vaccination 
uh, program for, for children and infants. Can you explain a little bit about who's eligible and the ages at which that vaccine is given? Okay. So the pneumococcal vaccine is on the immunisation schedule and it's, give, it's offered to children um, at their they under five, um, and they currently get four doses, and that's given as part of their routine immunisation visits at six weeks, three months, five months, and 15 months. Um, an additional pneumococcal vaccine that protects against more strains of the pneumococcal bacteria is also funded for high-risk individuals who are at increased risk of pneumococcal disease due to having other medical conditions. Um, again, for example, as per the pneumococcal vaccine, is those who are immunocompromised, like because they have HIV or or, the, or under, are undergoing renal dialysis or have just finished um, chemotherapy. Um, since introduction of the vaccine in 2008, we have seen a decrease in invasive pneumococcal disease in New Zealand, and now it's quite rare. So with regard to vaccinating children, you also had set some targets around childhood immunisation. And I, I refer back to, I think, 2014, you had set some targets around 95% of eight-month-olds to be completely vaccinated by that stage. Have we hit those targets? How are we tracking against that 95% of eight, eight months old? Um. Um, unfortunately, at the end of last year, so the end of last year, 91% of um, children who are eight months old had been fully vaccinated. Um, that's a decrease from, example, for example, from 2016, where um, we had an immunisation coverage rate of 93 to 94%. Um, and unfortunately, Māori have lower immunisation coverage rates um, and that's something that the ministry is looking into as to what could be driving the, this decrease in, in, in immunisation coverage. And I, once we identify what is driving it, what identifying what we can do about it, and working with the DHBs because mm -hmm. basically they know they know their communities and what works best for the community. So um, they they need to um, we work with them to for them to identify how they could increase immunisation coverage in their areas. And so they have a, a lower vaccination rate, obviously some barriers to vaccinating within those groups, and that's dragging down your your current uh, targets. Is that right? Yeah, so different DHBs have got different um, vaccination rates, and, and, and because each DHB is different, the drivers for those, um, what whether they achieve the coverage rate or whether they're not or whether it's decreasing, is the reasons are different. Some DHBs is more likely there might be more people who've got that what we call vaccine hesitancy, mm -hmm. um, um, or other debt, or it could be uh, barriers to actually accessing the immunisations itself, itself, or a combination of both. So that's why we need to make sure that we work with individual DHBs to identify what. Um, would work best for them to increase the immunisation rate. Right. And now is an important time for them to actually do that because, as you mentioned, historically a peak period for infection is coming up into winter and spring. So now's the chance for them to protect their loved ones. That's right. Nikki, thank you so much for joining me today from Wellington. It's been great to have you as part of the podcast and giving us an insight into the, the government and the ministry's current position with respect to pneumococcal and meningococcal disease and vaccination coverage. I'd just like to mention to our listeners that the ministry has some pages on their website that are dedicated to pneumococcal and 
uh, meningococcal disease and meningitis. So if people go to health.govt.nz, they should find a, a whole range of information there available to them. Nikki, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you. This has been part of a podcast series by the Meningitis Foundation, Aotearoa, New Zealand, to raise awareness of meningitis, septicemia, pneumococcal disease and meningococcal disease. For more information, please go to our website at www.meningitis.org.nz or to our Facebook page. Type in the Meningitis Foundation and you should find us without any problems. Please feel free to have a look through all the information that's provided on the Facebook page and like and share the posts. We look forward to having you join us for the next episode. Bye for now.